Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of common sense. You knew that though, of course, didn't you? We awake this morning to the news that there is a perfect storm apparently brewing, rising energy prices, trade crises and pressure on everybody's cost of living. But there are, as always, plenty of bright spots as well. Pretty Patel is vowing to lock up the moosely knitting M25 brigade to stop them from holding up the traffic whenever they like in the name of insulating Britain. The Home Secretary was obviously listening to the show yesterday uh, and picked up a couple of tips from yours truly and, of course, many of you who called in to say that these people should be completely and utterly outlawed so that they can never hold up the traffic again. Boris Johnson uh, is still over in America. Uh, He's got some things to do there before he comes back later on this week. Uh, He's got a spring in his step, though, after opening up the travel corridor. um, And he's now probably firmly of the opinion that Joe Biden isn't particularly keen on proving himself to be a great ally of the United Kingdom. And I think it's better to know that now. He was making all sorts of noises about how the trade deal was going to be difficult how we should not be interfering in the Good Friday Agreement in order to get Brexit done in Northern Ireland. And I think Joe Biden, quite frankly, is not somebody that we can rely on to always be on our side. The other piece of unadulterated good news for me is that the French are still fuming. Emmanuel Macron has been stewing in a temper ever since Australia decided to ditch its submarine contract last week. Now he's threatened to give up his seat at the UN Security Council and hand it to the European Union in the hopes of forming an EU army. What's that you say? That was just a myth that was dreamt up by Brexiteers? An EU army, you say? Sacre bleu. Whatever next, we'll be seeking the help of former Brexit Party MEP and businessman Ben Habib, who will have plenty to say about Biden's attitude towards the UK when it comes to trade, and also the Northern Ireland Protocol as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we've got the latest from the front line of the energy crisis, and we want to offer you some help as well. If you've got questions about your energy bill and what to do if your supplier has either gone bust or is ramping up the prices madly, we want you to send them to us and we will get them answered with a consumer champion, Jasmine Bertels later on in the show. Tonya Buxton is here as well with her take on the vaccination rollout in our schools. Like me, she is not supporting the government policy of getting our children jabbed to safeguard other people, particularly adults who have already been vaccinated. Plus, it's PMQs today, even though the Prime Minister's away, so we can look forward to Dominic Raab taking to the dispatch box against the very colourful Angela Rayner, who is almost certainly going to be a whole lot more entertaining than the usual Sir Keir Starmer Borfest. Uh, we'll be having Peter Cardwell in uh, to get his view on all of that. We'll also be finding out what on earth is going on at the BBC. Strictly is back, but it could be going again after just one performance thanks to an outbreak of COVID and a row over some dancers who refused to get the vaccine. Hmm. 
Very strange business indeed. You're listening to me uh, right here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there's lots of headlines about trade deals in the papers this morning. President sinks hopes of quick trade deal with the US. I'm always rather suspicious of politicians who start saying things are going to be difficult because almost certainly it's an argument uh, that they are making. It's a negotiating position. They're basically going to try and get something before they give something. And Joe Biden, I thought yesterday, uh, overall, uh, was pretty rude. We've actually got a clip. Uh, of Boris Johnson speaking uh, when he was uh, addressing one of the, uh, the the questions that was asked about uh, him. We're going to play it a little bit later on. But right in the middle of his actual sort of monologue, if you like, his explanation of what was going on with the Good Friday Agreement, suddenly the White House press corps are ordered out of the room. And there's this massive sort of melee as people get up and start walking away. Now, this is a British prime minister. You might be the president of the United States of America, but there's absolutely no point in pretending that you're more important than the British Prime Minister, particularly if you are more important. Important people tend not to be pompous. So I think Joe Biden let himself down. Let's get the view of Ben Habib, CEO of First Property Group and former Brexit Party MEP. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I don't know whether I'm right in, in taking this view of Joe Biden, but he seemed to me to be a little bit kind of mealy-mouthed and, and, and slightly petty yesterday, didn't he? Well, I think, he, I think there's general antipathy towards the United Kingdom is the impression I get from Joe Biden. Mm. You know, he treated us terribly and he continues to treat us terribly over the Northern Ireland Protocol, refuses to understand the sensitivity of the subject and the importance of the east-west dimension as well as the north-south dimension. And of course, he treated us shoddily over Afghanistan. You know, he, he, he gave us scant warning of his overnight withdrawal. I think he gave us no warning of his overnight withdrawal of troops, um, left us, you know, stranded high and dry. And here we have him walking out with his press or, you know, entourage, um, leaving Boris Johnson slightly embarrassed. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, talk of no trade deal, uh, which was kind of a hint after the, uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol conversation, as if the two things are linked. What did you make of that? Well, you know, I think the whole thing about a US-UK trade deal is overblown. I'm not sure that we even need or want one. You know, if we're going to trade, we already have a very successful trading relationship with the US, but if we want to expand that, I think we're much better off approaching mayors and governors of local uh, states mm. and doing sort of bilateral deals with individual states, as it were, than with the United States as a as a federal organization. You know, you got to remember that each one of the states in the U.S. is almost the size of a country, if not bigger yes. than many, many countries. So, you know, they're worth spending time on and getting right. So I think this whole thing about a US-UK trade deal is um, an unnecessary, overly um, sort of blown up, important subject. Yes, I think so. Because often when I speak to businessmen and even businessmen like yourself, Ben, you know, trade is done between businesses. It's not really done between countries, unless you're talking about something like the submarine deal that, that the US and the UK are doing with Australia. You know, by and large, um, you're exporting your goods to somebody else in a place where other people are going to buy them. You don't really need the government at all, do you? Uh, absolutely right. And this whole idea that um, tariff-free and frictionless trade is somehow better for business is slightly wrong. You know, if you've got a product that people want to buy, people will buy it. The cost of tariffs and the slight difficulty associated with filling in paperwork won't prohibit your customer base from buying your product. The really key thing the United Kingdom needs to do is to produce stuff that people want to buy. 
and then sell it. Well, exactly right. And what did you make of what was said about the Northern Ireland business? Because Nancy Pelosi was over here um, uh, earlier on this week, I think, or towards the end of last week, talking about uh, how Northern Ireland was a, a place w- which we shouldn't be messing with, which I thought was rather presumptuous of her, uh, but sort of signifying basically the Biden administration's idea that somehow the UK mustn't meddle in the Northern Ireland protocol uh, over Brexit or else there would be a problem from the White House. Yeah. And, you know, we've had this from the US for decades that they've supported really the Republican position over the unionist position. And they're doing it in spades against actually a deal that the US was instrumental in in brokering back in 1998. You know, the Good Friday Agreement, Joe Biden seems to have forgotten and Nancy Pelosi seemed to have forgotten, requires an east-west dimension as as importantly as it requires a north-south dimension. And what the protocol does is utterly break the east-west connection, the connection between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. And it does so without the consent of the people of Northern Ireland, another crucial component of the Good Friday Agreement. So, you know, this, this idea that we can't have a border on the island of Ireland is a fundamentally flawed one. In fact, the Good Friday Agreement specifically accepts and acknowledges that border And there's nothing in it that prohibits customs checks taking place at the border. So it's a very misunderstood subject, which the EU and Ireland have championed in the US and taken control of the propaganda, if you like. And the UK has been left far behind, looking looking like the bad boys. But in fact, it is the protocol that is wrong. And it is the protocol that breaches the Good Friday Agreement. And you've got something going on shortly, haven't you? Because you've got this um, lawsuit which, which has been rattling around in, in Northern Ireland for a while. What's the latest on that? Well, we have we, we lost, as we anticipated we would, the court case, the, the high court um, uh, case back in on the 30th of June. But we have appealed that and that's going to the Court of Appeal in Northern Ireland on the 11th and 12th of October. And... I was just reading the arguments that we're going to be making in the appeals in the appeals court. And I have to say, every time I read those arguments, I just cannot see as a plain common sense layman on the Clapham omnibus how any judge could find us to be wanting in our in our case. Mm. The fact is that that protocol breaches not just the Good Friday Agreement, as we've just discussed. It breaches the very act of union of the United Kingdom a fundamentally important constitutional act. And indeed, Mike, as you might recall, the judge, even though he dismissed our case in the High Court, he acknowledged that the Act of Union lay asunder as a result of the protocol, which was a very interesting conclusion for the judge to reach. He didn't find it illegal. He didn't find the protocol illegal, but he did acknowledge and accept that it drove a coach and horses through our Act of Union. Mm. And so where does that leave your case? I mean, are you able to um, to take it on in any way? Well, we have appealed it. It's going to the appeals court on the 11th and 12th of October. And I think as we go through the appeals process, our arguments will be much better revealed. And I'm hopeful that once we get to the Supreme Court, that actually we will prevail. We might prevail on the 11th of, and, uh, and 12th of October. But I'm hopeful, certainly, when we get to the Supreme Court, that British justice will be blind to political persuasion and that we will get the right judgment. 
Absolutely right. And what are you making as well at the moment of the other? Sort of, we were told there's massive sort of crises looming. Uh, the papers love the idea of a crisis and they're talking about a trade deal problem. They're talking about an energy crisis, which which we might say we, pro- we are kind of already in, aren't we? We are. I mean, we're walking into we've, we've got an energy crisis and we're walking into a much bigger one with this self-imposed green industrial revolution. You know, it's not as if the United Kingdom has a whole host of nuclear power stations that can kick in and produce environmentally friendly electricity. You know, we've seen the disruption, which are actually not a very significant large, uh, not a very significant increase in gas prices can make to our economy. And we're going to go on ratcheting up that pain as we head towards this net zero by 2050 with various, you know, marker stones on the on the way. Um, No, I I think this whole net zero green industrial revolution needs to be thought through again before we go further with it. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that we wouldn't be in this position if we hadn't had this headlong kind of rush uh, into wind power uh, and sea power and all of these renewable energy sources when we've actually clearly got quite a big stock of coal uh, under the ground. We've got quite a big stock of shale gas as well. Um, Surely that would be the way forward, wouldn't it? Well, uh, I mean, coal is undoubtedly a dirty fuel. But why we haven't been building mini nuclear power stations across the country? You know, if we want to produce an abundance of electricity for electric cars, which, by the way, would really burden our our, our power generating capability as it stands at the moment. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if everybody had an electric car now? I know. I mean, our our grid would just come to a rapid halt. And you can't rely on these wind farms because the wind may not blow. And, um, you know, so you, you need a reliable source of continuous energy. And. I think the way forward would have been these mini nuclear power stations, but they don't form part of the prime minister's plans. No, I mean, it is kind of ironic that in the midst of all of this, he's over in America trying to get some kind of commitment uh, to cut carbon even more. You know, when he should really be back here, should he not? Uh, making sure that uh, there's enough supplies of CO2, which I'm told we might now have to buy in from America. Uh, and there's enough gas coming over from Russia. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's absurd, really, that we are in this position created largely of our own making there's no need for it we could have been much much more relaxed with our approach to it all you know the united kingdom produces 0.1 percent of greenhouse gas emissions globally we're one of the good guys we don't need to be beating ourselves up over it it's china it's the us these are the countries that are producing um uh, greenhouse gases it's not the uk assuming you buy into the whole greenhouse gas uh, climate ex- sort of extinction rebellion case. Um, you know, not, it's not really. us that's the problem. No, exactly. <laughs> not, not really. No thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, the idea that these maniacs are running around the M25 every day complaining that they haven't got their homes insulated. I mean, it's like I said yesterday, you might as well ask for the letter M to be stricken from the English language. I mean, it's just a pointless activity, isn't it? It's outrageous. The cost of retrofitting all the houses to make them compliant with this ridiculously unnecessary high standard is something like five billion pounds. Mm. That's the entire corporation tax increase that Rishi Sunak has imposed on the private sector, which, as we know, has already been kicked in the shins. So why why would anyone wish to spend five billion pounds retrofitting houses that don't need to be retrofitted? The problem isn't the United Kingdom. The problem is China. The problem is the United States of America. If it is greenhouse gas gases that you want to target. It really is extraordinary, isn't it? And I see that Pretty Patel um, is asking for extra powers and trying to get injunctions and things. I hope she's more successful uh, against these people than she has been uh, against the dinghy arrivers. 
Yeah, well, we'll wait and see. Priti Patel has been, uh, you know, like all our cabinet ministers, very long on rhetoric, pretty short on delivery. And, um, you know, I, I really hope that the prime minister thinks through this green industrial revolution because it doesn't sit at all comfortably with his promise to level up the country. The only way he's going to finance all these wind farms and um, you know, tidal wave uh, power generating equipment and so on. Well, the only way he's going to do it is by raising taxes across the board. And that is going to disproportionately hit the working classes and the middle classes harder than anyone else. Yeah, exactly. And that is not a leveling up agenda. That is a sort of, a, a, it's a sort of Islington um, elitist intellectual agenda. Yeah. It's where, you know, it's, it's where all these ideas are thought up. Yes. Well, it's all these people that have big gardens and big garages so that they can put these new heating systems into their homes. But a lot of people don't have gardens or indeed garages or indeed anything other than a one or two bedroom flat, uh, which you can't fit in all this stuff. And, and they certainly can't afford a brand new electric car, which, by the way, I'm told doesn't have a resales value. These things last about seven or eight years, I'm told. And then you can't resell them because the battery's gone, mm. which is the you know significant uh, part of the expenditure. Mm. Um, you know, where are you going to get 20 grand? If, you, if you're used to driving a two grand beaten up car, where are you going to get 20 grand to yeah. upgrade to this wonderful utopian vision of carbon neutrality? Yes. It's just it's just for the birds. It really is. And it is. I was talking to somebody earlier on about the business of the oil companies and the way that the rest of the world operates and there are plenty of poor countries in parts of Africa in parts of Asia where you know this is not even a conversation because they can't afford to go green because they simply haven't got enough money. No it's not it's just not part of the conversation and the other thing I want to touch on Mike while we're discussing it mm. you know one of the biggest problems with the British economy is that everything is very expensive. Yeah. We are now a very high tax highly regulated economy we, if you go to the States, the cost of living is a fraction of what it is in the UK. Mm. If you go to Europe, it's a fraction of what it is in the UK. And certainly if you go to parts of Africa, Southeast Asia, Far East, it's a fraction of the cost of the UK. The prime minister should be finding ways to cut taxes, cut regulations, reduce friction on business, reduce the tax burden and make us a more cost effective, dynamic economy. And uh, the green industrial revolution is not the way to go about it. No, because all that's doing is pushing prices up even further. Ben, stay where you are, because I want to talk to you about France as well uh, before we go any further. Uh, we're talking to Ben Habib, uh, CEO of First Property Group, former Brexit Party MEP, of course, as well. The EU army is back, apparently. Uh, we're going to talk to Ben about that next here on Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots going on. Tony Buxton's going to be here in a little while. We've got Prime Minister's questions today, which actually might be quite interesting, simply because Angela Rayner's doing it uh, for the Labour Party instead of Keir Starmer. So it'll be far more entertaining, I'm sure. We're talking to Ben Habib, CEO of First Property Group, former Brexit Party MEP. Let's just have a look at that uh, video I was talking about earlier. Uh, Boris Johnson in the White House with Joe Biden. And a rather extraordinary way to treat the British Prime Minister uh, interrupts or uh, unbalances the the Belfast Good Friday uh, Accords. That's the uh, Belfast Good Friday Agreement. That's that's the.
Now, if you're not able to watch that, that was basically Boris Johnson and Joe Biden sitting in a room together on chairs, wearing masks. Boris talking about the Good Friday Agreement and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Suddenly, in the middle of it, the White House staff ordered all the press out of the room. So right in the middle of his statement, they all just got up and walked out. Very bizarre way to treat the British Prime Minister, Ben, isn't it? Well, I, you know, I've been very sus- suspect of this special relationship. If we had a special relationship, we wouldn't have had the fiasco that we had in Afghanistan. And whilst I wholeheartedly support this new AUKUS deal between ourselves, Australia and the, uh, and, uh, and the US, I do hope that we built into it some pretty cast iron promises from the United States that we will be properly consulted as a party to that agreement before unilateral decisions are made. Mm. You know, it seems to me that this special relationship favours um, the UK only when the US wants it to favour the UK. Most of the time, we're sort of the US's lapdog. And, you know, one of the things about Brexit, without wishing to, you know, veer away from the subject, one of the things about Brexit was that it was in, to enable the United Kingdom to go forth and do what's right for the United Kingdom. And we've got to stop, I think, acting through these supranational global institutions in partnership repeatedly with other countries over, we, over which we have very little influence. We need to start doing things much more unilaterally, much more British interests first, prosecuting what's right for this country. So whilst I support AUKUS, you know, I do hope it has protections in it. And I think the prime minister sitting in, in that room with Joe Biden needed to have been very forthright and firm that actually we will do with Northern Ireland what is right for the United Kingdom, yeah. not what the Americans think might be right. No, exactly right. And what about this latest um, gambit from Emmanuel Macron? I'm quite enjoying the fact that he's fuming, by the way. Um, because I love it. Because it shows uh, just how petty the French can be uh, by pulling out ambassadors from America and Australia, but not Britain, because he hates Britain that much. He's now talking about giving up his seat uh, at the UN Security Council in order for the EU to have a seat uh, and for them to promote the EU army idea again. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that he's so upset about AUKUS. You know, this is a country that has snubbed the Anglosphere's foreign policy for the last 20 years. Not that I'm a supporter of the Iraq war, but France voted against it. France has sidled up to Iran repeatedly when we've had to bring Iran to heel. France has supported China when we've all been trying to bring China to heel. And here we have, at last... Uh, a, a relationship between the Anglosphere, if you like, in AUKUS, between the US, UK and Australia. And France is so upset about it. And the other thing to bear in mind about France is that actually it's never met its NATO targets. It's never met 2% of its uh, GDP on, on, on defence spending. So it's got absolutely no right now to be jabbing a finger at the United Kingdom, US and Australia, claiming it's been left out of, the, out of this club. It has no legitimate mm. right at the table. It's, 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 it hasn't been an ally in any sense for the last 20 years when it comes to foreign policy. No. And by the way, that largely applies to the EU as well. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I think the true colours are now being shown. Ben, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib there, CEO of First Property Group and former Brexit Party MEP uh, reporting into us there from Karachi uh, in Pakistan. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we were talking earlier about the energy crisis. We've got all sorts of stories around this morning about what is going on in the big wide world out there, how people are being affected, particularly by a shortage of CO2. Let's talk now to Nick Allen, Chief Executive of the British Meat Processors Association. Nick, a very good morning to you. 
Yeah, good morning. I think an awful lot of people until this week, Nick, had no clue uh, that CO2 was such an important uh, conglomerate part of all sorts of things. Tell us uh, what, what you do with it. I, I know, well, you know, certainly in the meat sector, as you hi- highlighted, it's, it's used for the humane slaughter of pigs and sort of poultry, uh, and it's mainly used for the extension of um, uh, shelf life, mm. uh, sort of even more widely, and that goes into the food sector as well. It's uh, used in the freezing of meat as well. Uh, you know, so, yeah, and when you look into actually CO2, it's amazing. It's a real farm-to-fork product, you know, right down to the beer in your in, in your, in your pub. Yes, and sort of right. Beers. And, and given that that is the case, Nick, are you surprised um, that we've sort of come to this point so quickly that we've run out or, or appear to be almost about to run out of it uh, with a very um, short period of time? Well, we had a close shave in back in 2018, so this didn't really come as a surprise. So it's been on our watch list for a little while, but un- unfortunately... This is what's happening with the world. You know, we're ending up with more and more consolidated sort of supply chains, and mm. uh, and, and everything is in the hands of fewer and fewer people. Uh, I mean, what we were surprised about was that this plant uh, could close, uh, knowing uh, its importance, and it must have known this, its importance on the sort of in terms of supplying CO2 to the whole industry. That it could almost sort of close at the drop of a hat, and that took us by surprise. Yes, quite. And so why has that happened? Why is it now in the, in the, the hands of fewer and fewer people? Well, it, it's, it's happening all the time in the world, really. Every, just about every week, you know, there's a, there's a takeover of another sort of company on an international basis. And I think all these things go through under the radar and people don't really notice it. Uh, but, you know, the, there will be other incidents where, where we'll discover that all of a sudden, uh, you, you know, the control of something has got in the hands of just a very few people. Uh, just another example, actually, I don't think people realise that increasingly the number of containers in the world that move product around the world mm. are getting in fewer and fewer hands, you know, uh, and all of a sudden you're going to be sort of vulnerable to these massive international companies if we're not so careful. So uh, it, it needs looking at on an international basis. It's not something one individual country can do. No, but is it a, a, a factor that's affecting this country more than others? Uh, I think that probably um, just at this moment in time, as we've stepped out of Europe and not had that safety net of being part of a bigger, uh, you, you know, a, a bigger market. And we've yet to actually sort of find, mm. you know, we've heard today in the news, you know, we might be joining a North American sort of trade deal pack. We're trying to join uh, just at this moment in time. We're probably a little bit more vulnerable because we're, we're, we're out there on, on our own and actually haven't really sealed these deals and these packs with, 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 with other countries yet. So we're probably a little bit more vulnerable than we, we have been for some right. time. Yeah. So in a way, this could be put down to just sorting some things out post Brexit then. Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of things that we've got to sort of sort out sort of post Brexit. I mean, I mean, you don't just pull, you know, pull the plug on forty years of being part of a big market uh, overnight. It's going to take uh, the country time to sort all these things out, really, and and things that keep coming out out of the woodwork that need to be sort of sorted out. Yeah. So, what is the plan, as far as you're aware of it, Nick? From from this point on, I mean, I've read stories about how we might be having to buy subsidised CO2 from American companies, and we might even be, uh, you know, getting the government to sort of fork out quite a lot of money in order to make sure that your your sort of uh, clients, if you like, and your customers are able to operate. 
Yeah, I mean, what's happened, we were reaching a really critical point, you know, on the, from the uh, slaughter of animals in particular on pigs and poultry. Some of our members only had sort of four days left. So mm. uh, this has come through in the nick of sort of time. So it's quite right that the sort of government, and they were almost the only, only people that could step in here and actually offer a bit of a sa safety net to keep this company open while everyone negotiates with them a different pricing structure for CO2. And that's what's going to be happening over the next three weeks. Mm. Government's only stepped in here for three weeks. Uh, you you know to actually sort of help the uh, help everyone sort of change over so in the next three weeks we've got to have a complete restructuring of the co2 pricing in, in right through the industry and not just in the food industry this is going to impact on the nuclear industry on the hospitals uh, right the way through it's, mm. it's a widely used product so the, the, as you say we've got a three-week window to sort this out okay and as far as um, people's kind of um I don't know, food on their plates is concerned, you know, from the point of view of the, just the regular consumer. Uh, are they likely to be facing any kind of shortages or anything? Well, the immediate crisis has been averted. We, we, you know, we really could see uh, within the next two or three weeks, actually, that, that pork and poultry would have been under uh, a serious threat. And ne never mind the animal, you know, the, the white shells, the, the, the animal welfare consequences back on farm could have been serious. So that for the moment has been averted. We've got an ongoing problem, which is to do with labour shortages in the food industry, you mm. know, so then... That's not just in the meat sector, it's right the way through. I joined a meeting yesterday uh, about a wider industry discussion and, and some, some people were talking about how there's empty greenhouses in the country because they haven't got the labour to grow, uh, grow products yeah. in these houses. Not and, just the meat sector's got this problem. And is that an issue of, 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 of wages or is that an issue of just um, um, people not wanting to do those types of jobs? Because I hear different stories, you know, that, uh, you know, I was, I was watching, I think, a pig farmer. Uh, we had him on our, our show and he was telling us that, you know, he was going to have to slaughter a load of pigs because they literally didn't have enough people to butcher them and kill them yeah, uh, yeah. for food. And because if they uh, live too long, uh, they're not really any use to anybody. So, I mean, is it about paying people more money or is it about well, finding the, people who want to do those jobs? It, it's, it's both, actually. It, it's, it's finding people that want to do those jobs. We are paying them more. I mean, a lot. Uh, the, the pay has gone up considerably. Everyone's fighting for labour out there. There's a million sort of jobs out there. So mm. everyone's paying them more. Um, it, it is about getting people that want to do those jobs and also it's getting them in the right places. A lot of our plants in particular are situated more in, more in the countryside where it's easy to get animals to. So it's not that easy to get some people to. And that what's evolved over the over the last you know, 40 years is actually we have been dependent on migrant worker people, migrant workers, people from the EU in particular, and they would come here and they stay for you know three years or so. Uh, they would actually live four or five in a house or something like that. If you want one British worker to you know sort of to, to move to that area, you know that's that's that whole house occupied. You know, so um, the mobility of labour is a sort of problem as well. Mm, absolutely right. Um, and I'm told that there was a closure of a, of a fertilizer factory up in the northeast. Of England, which which supplied an awful lot of of CO two to uh, to the country, um, that, it seems that, is that right? Yeah, that's it's a byproduct of fertilizer. Yeah. So that that is what this is about: is having to step in and keep these fertilizer plants running because they said it wasn't economic to produce fertilizer here. Mm. We're stopping producing the fertilizer, and before we knew it, we had no CO two because it's right. a byproduct. Yeah, extraordinary, really, that one closure could cause all this. Really, isn't it? 
Well, it is it. I mean, the, these two plants really, you know, produce something like we discover that you know, uh, it's, it's, um, produce sort of sixty percent of the CO two in the in, in the UK. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it's we we sort of knew it, but uh, as I said earlier, we, we, what came as a shock to us is how quickly this plant closed down. There was no forewarning about right. it, right. Uh, and uh, that, and that that's um, yeah, that came as a real shock to us. Okay, well, Nick, appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed, Nick Allen, Chief Executive of the British Meat Processors. Association there, summing up uh, what is uh, not so much now of a crucial problem uh, as it was. They seem to have sorted out the short-term scenario, so you won't be going without food. You probably won't be going without pigs in blankets. You probably won't be going without turkey at Christmas. You know, so once again, there has been uh, quite a lot of scaremongering going on because that's what newspapers like to do, some newspapers, that is. Uh, they love to tell you how terrible it all is. Daily Mirror this morning has got a front page uh, saying a perfect storm. And they're basically talking about how terrible everything is going to be. Uh, they say the cost of living crisis is going to hit Britain for two years. Inflation to increase as energy and fuel bills rise. Benefits cut. Taxes up. Furlough schemes ending. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And here's Tonya Buxton. A very good morning to you, Tonya. Good morning. Welcome. Mike. It's a beautiful day. It um, is a lovely day. I, unlike a lot of people in this world, am not a pessimist. Um, and I don't like being told constantly that we're in some kind of trouble and that we're all in terrible, terrible places. And, you know, when you get things like the Daily Mirror saying a perfect storm. It's the fear narrative. Yeah. It's, it's the like way stop trying to frighten people. They've learned to control us through fear. Yeah. Uh, the anxiety of the nation is through the roof. I, I actually uh, saw someone the other day who was telling me, um, so she, this girl was 25, and she, I was asking, inquiring about her sister who's 22, and she goes, mm. oh, my sister won't go out anywhere. She won't travel. She hasn't travelled. Really? She's, she has such serious COVID anxiety. She's wow. so worried about it. A That's 20, awful, a isn't it? A 20 year old. A 22-year-old. Isn't that dreadful? It's, and so this is what the government does for us. Now it's doing it through um, whether we can pay for our heating or mm. not, whether we're going to have electricity or whatever it is. It, the fear narrative is very, very clever because mm. it does control people. Because as uh, Zoe Clues said, who was on here, mm. uh, we are pre-programmed to go for safety rather yes. than happiness. Right. So by pushing people through fear, they're getting their way. But what what is the quality of life and what is the quality of the nation? Mm. Nobody seems to care about no. that. But luckily, there are enough of us, I think, who can work, work our way through that. And, yeah. and whenever I'm out and about, I mean, London is really busy now, which I'm really yeah, pleased to I see. I love it. I love the fact that, that, that at night time, there's loads of people walking around. London Bridge area is massively busy. I know not every place is busy, but, but there's definitely fewer and fewer yeah. people doing what you've just described and, and yeah. staying home yeah. and not wanting to come out. No, we've got to we've got to kind of change the mindset. But mm. in changing the mindset, 
Oh, Mike, I'm going to try not to screech. Okay. But this thing with children's vaccinations mm. is really, it's, it's, it's causing me completely sleepless nights. Mm. I don't understand it. And one of the things that really kind of drives me nuts is that so a report that came out today, but let me go backwards first. So when MP Miriam Cates uh, had the debate yesterday about children's vaccines, do you know that Sajid Javid, our health secretary, who's supposed to give a damn about our health mm. and our children's health, the future of the nation's health. He didn't turn up. Really? No. That's shocking. That, that's disgusting. Yeah. It's vile yeah. and he should be out of a job. Mm. We are talking about the health of the future yeah. and he can't be bothered to turn up in the mm. debate. What was so important that kept him away? I, I can't imagine anything more important than that. And then we wake up this morning to the news about Isabella Borges Valentim, um, who is a young 16-year-old uh, who had the Pfizer vaccine on August the 25th and it then died mm. through um, complications with blood clots. Mm. And they, they have come to the conclusion that um, it was the vaccine that caused her death. Mm. Um, the uh, Brazil's Ministry of Health, they, they are requesting the vaccine be suspended yeah. just like Bev Beverly Turner is at this moment in yeah. time in court mm. talking trying to get it suspended so we're not asking you to stop it no. we just want a suspension till we have a little bit more information yes. because I'm going to repeat this again I know that you repeat it all the time I'm going to say it again because I need people to understand this vaccine does nothing for children. Children do not get sick from COVID mm. unless they have a comorbidity or something else is yes. going on. So young boys in particular are six times more likely to end up in hospital with myocarditis, a problem with the heart, yes. than they are to which end is, up which, in hospital be, with COVID. Which can be a permanent problem. Yes, right? I know. They keep saying things like, oh, well, it's, it, you know, it's reversible or it gets better. So why would you give something yeah. to your child that could even for 10 minutes cause a problem with their heart? Why would you do why that? Why would you? So why are we doing these vaccines? The whole thing was it was about mental health. Mm. Now, you and I both full well know that the government and uh, Chris Whitty et al. and all these people don't give a buying whatever Fortress. did you did you hear did, did you hear what happened and i don't swear mike I don't. i'm not a swearer I've never heard you swear. i don't swear but i'm i'm so close to that mm. they did not give a damn about our children's health when they shut down schools no. britain has the worst record for shutting down schools unnecessarily and needlessly even after the reports came out mm. that children are not the super spreaders that they thought they would right. no more teachers have got covid than than non teachers have, have got covid it's it's just all a load of rubbish right. and they did not give a damn about our children's mental health and during also, that time and also nothing has changed since they said that they weren't going to vaccinate children no other than their policy which is now to vaccinate children but it's the but first the time in history changed. that they have gone against the jvci mm. it's the first time in history that they've gone against the leading body when it comes to viruses and immunization mm. they've gone against their advice they advise not to vaccinate yes, children because they said on balance it is not worth the risk no those were their words right absolutely and so if the risk of getting uh, some kind of damage and harm from a vaccination is worse than the risk of you getting covid then where, i'm sorry where is the logic for then vaccinating the children there isn't any and this was this but we all the other thing that's really sinister the sinister creep that mm. you know our, our friend laura dobsworth always yeah. talks about is the fact that they these people were lined up to go into schools mm. from a long time ago mm. their, their jobs were advertised and they were hired mm. way before the ruling came in that we would vaccinate children right Way we're before any told, advice was taken. We're always being told that we've got a shortage of nurses, but apparently we haven't got a shortage of nurses that can go into schools and vaccinate children. 
But what I haven't heard, and I'm wondering whether this is quite a good thing from our point of view, what I haven't heard is from many parents who have been contacted by the school. You know, letters have been sent out. Mm. Some people have had letters, but I haven't yet heard, and certainly from my own situation, I haven't heard that, that the school is, is actively kind of encouraging people to get vaccinated. I think they're frightened. I think they're worried yeah. because there are a couple of lawsuits going through. And also, if you're running a school, the last thing you need is a child of yours in your care being vaccinated without the permission of their parents and then something going wrong because that is the end of the school yeah absolutely you know? i mean if, if you know i haven't had any letters yet from my my son's school who's he's 14 um i haven't had any information for that but um but but like many parents i've heard they would sue not just the school but they would personally sue the head teacher yeah. as well for allowing that and to I, happen and i think a lot of them are in and that i would situation. give them funding I, if, if something happened to a child mm. like has happened to this young girl isabella in brazil and that's in brazil it, yeah. it, uh, and there's there was a kind of a fund for to sue the school and the head teacher personally i would be giving my hard-earned cash to that person to yeah. sue the hell out of them oh i'm sure there would be plenty of people willing to crowdfund any kind of lawsuit yeah. but the thing is there is uh, richard tice had a lawyer on i think it was a couple of Sundays ago, mm -hmm. talking about a case that he was bringing on behalf of two girls, two sisters, one twelve, one fourteen, I think, who, interestingly enough, right, are not able to legally be represented because they have to be represented by somebody else because they're not old enough. Yeah. But they're old enough to be uh, able to give permission to get a vaccine yeah. against their parents' wishes, yeah. which is extraordinary. But all he's saying is exactly what Beverly Turner's saying. Can we just pause it, please? Can yeah, we just, just put a hold on it and wait and see? until we know a little bit more because i think that's fair enough isn't it it really is and it's this what's the rush it's the rush that's so sinister what is the rush we know that children are not super spreaders they're not doing anything and this whole thing about the vaccine exhausts me as you know i'm vaccinated mm. i did it i did it through coercion yeah. like and i regret partly it partly because you had to go away and i see had your to go parents, and see right? my parents and i couldn't and cyprus is one of these show your passes places and i just couldn't and, yeah. I, and I have to go again soon yeah my parents are well i'm now able to go to america yeah. to see my mother so i'll, I'll I'll do the same yeah. you know but it doesn't change my view no it on what I people should, here be able to do. should be doing at home in london and in britain you know because i will not ever show a vaccine passport here yeah i will obviously have to do so to go to america but my mother's 97 you know what what choice do i have yeah you have to go and see is it, you're in the same situation yeah. as i am but i'm disgusted by britain i'm disgusted by boris mm. for pushing through all of this stuff it's wrong yeah it's absolutely wrong and just to take it back to the kids you know they're Chris Whitty said that he's doing it for children's mental health. I mean, we have... How does he even know that? I mean, how has, has Chris Whitty ever sat in a room with a 12-year-old? Do you think he's ever had a conversation with well, a 12-year-old? I mean, does he have any he understanding? he doesn't have any children of his own, which, which doesn't make him an unlikely um, sort of person to give advice about yes, children. Does. But it, it does. doesn't help him. But it, it does, Michael. I'm sorry. It doesn't help I, I will to not do it. take advice from anyone about children unless well, you've not got about children. Your own children. But any children. Yeah. I'm sorry. I do feel that you have to have a, a, a better understanding of mm. what it's like to live and be, and especially when it comes to competency yeah. of a child. It's all very well looking at reports and ticking things, but mm. you have to live with uh, a teenager or an adolescent to understand the way their brain is bonkers, yeah. that it's not fully formed. They cannoas make these decisions. Mm. They can't sometimes decide what cereal to have in the morning. Right. A 12 year old can't decide. You're fighting with a 12 year old. Well, well, you know, you're trying to make sure that, that they, you know, they snuck in some cornflakes or or 
cereals are sugary, whatever mm. in the house. We don't have them in our house. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a row that's happened in my house. So one, one of my sons brought in really sugary yeah. uh, cereal and said, I'm having this in the morning. So right. you're not having that in the morning because it's absolute rubbish and right. you're not going to have it. Right. Now, this is the fight that we're having because they've got no idea what's good for their health. If mm. he had that sugary cereal in the morning, he'll go to school and have a terrible slump, would learn nothing and yeah. be miserable. Yeah. So I won't let that happen. And yet they're saying that this same child can make a decision mm. about putting a vaccine in their body. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> And we talked yesterday insane. with Laura about the form. I don't know if you've seen this form. Yeah. Uh, which apparent, which I haven't actually seen. I've seen it only on Twitter. Um, but this is a form that apparently has been given to the kids in the school, uh, where it has a section uh, which is green for uh, if you want the vaccine, or red if you don't want it. Right. So already they're using colour coding yeah. to try and sort of influence. Subliminal. Yes. And then it says, uh, if you're not taking the vaccine, uh, please tell us why. But then it says, but you don't have to. And you're going right. So now you want people to tell you why they're not taking it, as if to say. Oh, what, because my parents are mad anti-vaxxers or my, because my parents are crazy or because my parents are, you know, against medical intervention. I mean, that's kind of the question they're looking to have answered, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that the, the, uh, there was a case, and I, again, it's on Twitter, so it might not be real. There's a guy I follow, Nick the Greek, because obviously yes. he's a Greek, and he was telling us about a situation with his son um, in, in the classroom where his son actually said, look, I'm not going to have the vaccine. I don't think it's the right thing to do. And the the teachers in the class kind of turned on him. Mm. And he had to, and he, he felt very, imagine this is a, a child of 13, 14, having to make these, thought, make these decisions and have peer pressure. Peer pressure is such a big thing. Yeah. Oh, it and, is. And this has not been taken into account by Chris Whitty. Yeah. So, you know, you know, peer pressure makes kids take drugs, makes yeah. them smoke, makes them drink too much, makes them sick, makes, makes them, them have, have sex. sex with people yeah. they shouldn't be having sex with. Yeah. That's what peer pressure does. Yeah. So what is it going to do for this vaccine, mm, exactly. the way that we've been coerced into it? And you can't it? always trust teachers to do the right thing because I've heard stories as well from friends of mine uh, whose kids, for example, weren't wearing a mask in school um, and teachers were saying things to them like, why don't you wear a mask? Don't you think COVID exists? You know, as if you're some kind of nutcase and they're trying to wheedle out of you. The reason you don't do it is because you've got some kind of bizarre, you know, conspiracy belief about what's going on. And that's wrong. They shouldn't be doing Having that. been a school teacher, I was a school teacher for eight years. Were you? Yes, I was. I, didn't know I, that. I changed careers at 32. Wow. 33, actually. Okay. Um, so, and I worked um, in um, Tottenham mainly, actually, okay. primary schools in Tottenham. Shout out to Lee Valley Primary. And um, That's not an easy place to be a teacher, I would imagine. It's not, but it, I did a lot of supply teaching in other more privileged places. Yeah. And I felt that I was making more of a difference mm. in the less privileged places. Um, and that's. Good for you. Uh, that's what I did. But having say this, I, I worked with some unbelievably brilliant teachers. Mm. And I also worked with some really lousy human beings who it, it gobsmacked me every day that they were teachers. Yeah. So, you know, just because you're a teacher doesn't make you a good person. No. And I saw it with my own eyes. Well, it's like doctors, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. We've got this sort of obsession with, you know, let's praise all members of the NHS. Well, that's not actually. I mean, I don't know if you heard Julia's show this morning. She had a guy on at a roundabout, um, just before yeah. eight, I think it was, yeah. um, who was talking about the Strictly story, yeah. saying, well, of course they should get vaccinated because it's the right thing to do. Why? And she's going, well, they can choose not to. Yeah. And it turned out that this guy then took the, the, the sort of next step and said, well, everybody should be vaccinated, um, and then admitted that he doesn't mix with people who aren't vaccinated. And she's like, what, do you ask them? And he said, well, yeah. And so there are people now yeah. in this country um, who will not... And we've seen people writing this nonsense that they won't have a dinner party with anyone who hasn't been vaccinated no, round to their house. Wait. I mean, really? But can they explain to me why? 
No. Because that's the thing. And then this is the thing that drives me nuts. Wouldn't it be lovely if, if when I leave today that you get some callers in like, that explain why it makes a difference? Mm. If the vaccines work for you, yes. why do I have to have it? If the vaccine's exactly. working for me, yeah. it's working for me, why do you have because to have it? Because they have a series of arguments, all of which are nonsensical. Absolutely. You know? One is, oh, well, uh, it's better for them. And you go, well, why, why? is it better for them? If they're young, as the people on Strictly are, fit, as the people on Strictly are, um, why is it better for them? Well, because it means if they get COVID, they won't um, uh, in any way become terribly ill. Right, so... <laughs> they never were going to be. Right, so perhaps they never were. But even if they were, uh, then they say, yes, but it's also safer for the other people. What, the ones who have been vaccinated? Yes. Why? Um, well, because then they can't pass COVID on. Yes, but you've just told me that if the person's been vaccinated, they don't, they're not at any risk of becoming very ill. So they're already protected. So what difference does it make whether they get COVID from the person who's not vaccinated because they'll be fine? You can't have it both ways. And what's happened about natural immunity? Mm. You know, if, they, if they're if they so insistent that, that this thing is, you know, so terrible, not forgetting that the average age of death is still 82. Still. It's still 82. And Nothing's two changed. most frequently cited reasons for death are age and weight. Yes. Right? Okay. Nothing else. So have you, I'm, and I'm still waiting to hear about this great scheme that the government are doing because, they, you know, they pour money down the drain on, on vaccinating mm. children that don't need it. Yes. And that all that money, if it went on to cookery classes and health education mm. and showing people how to eat and what not to eat, that's where it would be best spent. Yes. Surely that's the right Absolutely. thing to do, to do for We're it. We're also told that there could be as many as five million school children who have already had COVID. Therefore, that's my point. one of the questions I think that Beverly Turner's uh, asking is why not give them all a um, an antibody test exactly. first and if they have the antibodies they don't need the vaccine do but, they? W- but we should all have the v- antibody test yeah. because all the studies that are coming through from America and from Israel at the moment are proving that natural immunity could last a lifetime yeah. because of the way it affects your cells it's different to the vaccines and it can and it can give you immunity or a, a stronger much stronger mm. immunity than the vaccines does for a lifetime right. and it also prevents the viral load because they've now showing that people with the vaccine can still carry a massive viral, viral load mm. in their nasal passages yes. and everywhere so you're more likely to spread it if you've got right. the vaccine so none of this is making sense so why is there a vaccine push mm. Can I, shall I put my tinfoil hat on? If you want. Uh, so I'm putting my tinfoil hat on, but it seems to me it's got nothing to do with the virus or to do with a vaccine. Mm. It's got to do with the lead up to IDs. Well, or... Digital IDs. I always uh, revert back to the age-old favourites, follow the money, mm-hmm. as they say in, in uh, money. All the President's Men yeah. and Watergate, because where the money's going is where you're, you're sort of getting the drive from, if you like. And there's an awful lot of people making an awful lot of money. And when you think about the uh, the testing companies, oh. you think about the PPE companies, you think about, you know, why do you think suddenly all these companies pivoted to making PPE or pivoted to selling tests or pivoted to, to you know, helping to push the vaccine out? Because there's money to be made. And I think that's probably more likely to be the root of it all. But then that's what that's what gave me a, a, a shiver down my spine. I remember speaking to you last mm. year and um, we were talking about the fact that there's somebody that I know who does um, fund money funding you know when you yeah. kind of fund management fund management and they were putting a lot of, these are clever people yeah. they don't they don't and they, they they're rich because yes. they're clever and they don't put their money mm. uh, on on they only put their money on sure bets yes. and they have put money into ppe and testing um till 2025 ah, there we are well here's the other thing right if you're going to ask questions about children and whether they should be vaccinated when the vaccine was formed they said this is the answer this is the way out mm-hmm. we will get out of all of this because the vaccine is now here 
they now say actually the vaccine is, is has got a shelf life so that if you've had two you'll need to get a third one so that tells you they didn't know really how, how efficacious to, yeah. it was right but they're telling us now that they know so much about it that it's safe to give to children absolutely i don't believe that absolutely see that's the exact point All right very well made Mike. Mm. exact point but yet they do know from studies in america and studies in israel that you, with a strong likelihood that you will have a very long period of being immune if you've had if you've had yeah. COVID naturally. Right. So surely that's what they should be testing for. That's what we should be testing for. I think you know, so. So not you know what it's there's some proof that if you've had COVID already and you have the vaccine, you you can have some side effects. You know maybe there might be just small ones yes. initially, but who wants a side well, effect at very, all? It's very it's rare, isn't it? It's very rare for somebody to catch COVID more than once. It's still pretty rare. It's. I mean, I think they may have found what two or three cases globally. Yeah. And so this kind of well, you can catch it again is again part of the fear mongering mm. and all of this well what about long covid on kids what about it well they've now said that that's pretty much a myth yes it's a lie that long covid is actually a load of you know why don't we rename it a load of old cobblers i'd love to do that you know i don't be- i don't believe that long covid is a thing you yes. could feel bad for all sorts of reasons yeah. you could wake up in the morning and just feel a bit bleh, you know as some people often do particularly as you get into the winter months and all of that but that doesn't mean that you're suffering from long COVID just because you had COVID six months ago. No, but Mike, these these this information that came out yesterday in the Telegraph about how um, children's mental health has been so seriously affected that central central uh, serious mental health issues, including self harm, suicidal thinking, has leapt up more than fifty percent since the beginning of COVID. Mm. Now, this has got nothing to do with COVID. It's got to do with the response yeah. of COVID. So if you're if you have these ridiculously high levels of anxiety in children then that is going to be the reason that people are feeling so terrible. Yeah. It's the anxiety yeah, that has been enforced upsets, upon us, yeah. not COVID. That upsets your physical health as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, it really does. And then these these um, statistics now about how many children are on um, drugs mm. because, you know, they're not getting to see a doctor. You can't you can't see anyone no. for love or money. You know the way right. it is now. Something like 27,000 children a month, largely teenagers, are now prescribed anti depressants with over a thousand of those under 11 years old i mean and this is just a fob off yeah i mean i just i literally want to scream like a a greek wailing tragedy as to why they're pouring all this money into vaccinating children instead of pouring money into fixing the children that they broke Mm. they broke these children by lockdowns they broke these children by putting in these enforcing things that force them to stay at home not socialize not exercise not live a life they broke them Mm. Put the money into fixing what you broke. Yeah, very well said. Um, we're out of time, unfortunately. Oh. I'm going to lead you into. I'm going to take you into a, a dark room, <laughs> soundproofed. I know. I knew somebody who used to do primal scream therapy, and you literally go in the room, you just scream, and nobody can hear it. I feel I need that. At the moment. I think that's what we'll do. Tonya, thank you so much. Tonya Buxton, My passionate, uh, absolutely sensible. And what else can we do to convince this government that they're wrong? They're wrong. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And now, on the front page of The Sun, prickly come dancing, because it looks as though uh, there's a little bit of trouble brewing at the BBC, uh, because there are certain people taking part in Strictly who are not vaccinated. There are certain people sort of losing their lunch over this and saying, well, surely everybody should be vaccinated. But why, is the question. Let's talk now to Hannah Hope, Assistant Show Business Editor at The Sun on Sunday. Hannah, a very good morning to you. Welcome. 
Good morning. So, um, Strictly, um, I'm beginning to wonder, first of all, whether Strictly may be getting towards the end of its life, you know, because people have been watching it for so long. Um, I can't stand the show myself, so I'm not a fan. You may well be. Um, but this row has really taken over the uh, the news, hasn't it? And it now looks as though uh, they might have an outbreak of COVID as well. So what's going on? Well, it is an unprecedented situation. Indeed, there is chaos in the ranks backstage at Strictly Come Dancing. So the long and short of it is, is that three of the professional dancers have refused to have the jab, which isn't against the law. Um, you know, it's, it's up to the individual whether or not they want to have um, a COVID jab. Right. But as we know with Strictly Come Dancing, with the long training sessions, the, the pros get very up close and personal with the celebrities. You mm. have to look at the curse of Strictly and the amount of pros who've actually hooked <laughs> up with their uh, with their celebrity partners to see that. So, understandably, some of the celebrities who are jabbed um, have said, "Hang on a minute." I'm going to be dancing up close and personal for 10 hours a day with this pro dancer who has refused to have the jab. And although when you're double jabbed, you're not, um, you know, you can still get coronavirus, you are less likely to pass it on than someone who isn't jabbed yeah. at all. Um, and, and the BBC really are in a difficult situation because they can't force the dancers to get the jab. Um, but at the same time, they, if if a vir if the virus takes over the cast and crew, then there is no show, and it's a live show. It's not pre-recorded. Um, and you say that the, the ratings were down, which is true. They still had seven point two million viewers uh, on the Saturday night. It was a pre-recorded show, um, and I'm sure a lot more people watched it on catch up. And once the live shows start, I expect to see that figure rising to ten million plus uh, yes. as we always see every year yes but of course um it's not going to help them very much if they then have to cancel it because i think this is the first time that having launched the the season the new season uh they, they're, they're possibly going to have to cancel the whole thing i know it, it's a it's a it's a very kind of worrying situation obviously there's a lot of money tied up um it's running every saturday night until christmas it's the kingpin of the bbc's entertainment saturday night schedule um and there is absolute panic we even had boris johnson comment on the situation from america yesterday urging the dancers to go and get jabbed so if you've got the pm talking about it it doesn't get much more serious than that well no um We've got pro former pro dancer James Jordan, who has retired from the show, but he was always very outspoken. He spoke exclusively to the Sun on, to the Sun yesterday and was saying that it's disgusting that these dancers haven't got the jab and they shouldn't have been given a job on Strictly if that was the case. Now, it does beg the question that potentially in this situation, should the show have set up a protocol kind of saying, look, we can't force you to get the jab, but in this situation, because so much rides on there not being a strictly outbreak, um, you know, maybe you should have only signed up if you're prepared to have the jab. Mm. But I know that a lot of people are against that. And like we've already said, it's not against the law. Uh, it, sorry, it's it's not law to have the jab. No, we're getting lots of but that's the other there. thing, because so, yeah. you've now got the BBC uh, being forced into a situation where they might have to, if they were to do what James Jordan wanted, where they might have to make it um, more or less um, 
um, a forced jab situation where we've seen other companies doing that, uh, but the BBC doesn't have that policy because you might equally say if you were one of the people and James Jordan saying, we don't know who these three dancers are. He calls them selfish. He says they should be named and kicked off the show, which seems a bit unfair. Um, but if you were one of those people who didn't have it, you'd say, well, all right, I'll tell you what, if you want me to get the jab, what about all the crew? What about everybody that's working on the show? What about everybody that comes into the audience? You know, you start to get to the point where you could make all sorts of demands. Well, I see your point, but actually, I mean, when you look at the Strictly Dancers, I mean, look at the tango, it's body to body. You're absolutely breathing in the same air. Mm. That's different than a director or an audience member who's sitting 50 feet away from you. And I've been into the Strictly studio. It's smaller than it looks on TV, but it's not that small. So I do think that it's, you know, I think that it's possible for the audience not to get jabbed, the crew, but you are really dancing really close together, uh, the celebrity and the pro. Um, so, it, you know, if you were an older celebrity, for example, say you were Greg Wise, who's in his 50s, I, I don't know this is just an example and you'd had the jab uh, you know his wife is also in her 60s Emma Thompson and then you're partnered with someone who does who hasn't got the jab you don't then want to put your family at risk well you put your family at risk by letting them go into the show as you pointed out earlier because he might end up waltzing off with the uh, whichever the dancer is that he's been set up with <laughs> never mind covid you know it's cheerio Emma I'm, I'm moving in with this uh, new woman Absolutely. With that, yeah, I just want to hasten to add that was just an example. We don't know which dancers have decided not to have the jab. And the BBC, because it's medical, they're saying they can't comment. Um, and that's actually another situation that the BBC have found themselves in. Because it's a whole medical furore, they can't really enforce anything. They can't really comment to the press. Um, it, it is a real sticky right. situation. I mean, but do, I mean do, you know, do you know, for example, Hannah, whether people who apply to be on Strictly have to have some kind of medical to prove that they're physically fit for insurance purposes do they have to have that yeah yeah absolutely they do go through a medical um but nothing you know you don't know what what can happen on the dance floor I mean, you don't know when heart attack can strike anyone at any time at any age yeah. um and, and you don't and as we've seen with covid it's a very tricky uh uh, virus and we, you just don't know who or how it's going to affect them so it is a really difficult situation uh, and it's one that Strictly Bosses are struggling to navigate I'm sure they're going to try and do it because they've signed up for the show yeah. um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get another Last year, we had Katya Jones, for example, a pro dancer who was uh, diagnosed with COVID, which meant her and Nicola Adams, her celebrity partner, oh, yes, I remember had, that, yeah. had to pull out, which was a shame because they were the first same-sex couple. Right. We were excited to see how they progressed. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see that. We already know that one of the celebrity dancers is isolating because they've been diagnosed with COVID. Right. We don't know if they've been vaccinated or not. So I do think it's going to be likely that we see um, celebrity couples pull out because of this situation yeah. again. And how do but they it, work? How do they work the the filming sort of sequences? Because I know that obviously they've they've got uh, they've got live shows from this point on by and large on Saturday night. But they do film little segments of people training and stuff, don't they? Absolutely. So all the pro dancers have been in a training camp, a bubble, if you will. So they go away for several weeks um, and learn the dances and actually film them in advance. Um, so that's all out the way, which means that when they're, what we see on the Saturday night, which is the couples perform, that's the only live element of the show. Um, and and, and that's, so that's what's in question at the moment. Right. So, I mean, are, are the BBC likely to be coming out with any sort of statement? I mean, are they under serious pressure uh, to get rid of these three? I think that they are going to do all they can to try and keep them. But I think that they are going to have to cough up a bit more than what they've said so far. 
in terms of their coronavirus protocol, in terms of testing. Um, and in, I think they really will have to explain a bit more because it's got everyone talking and um, they haven't really resolved it. At the no. Well, this is it. I mean, it's a fascinating story and it's a great story for you guys because obviously, um, you know, it's the biggest show around at the moment and, uh, and it's in absolute and utter chaos. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's going to affect future TV shows yeah. going forward. Other big TV shows will be looking at this thinking, right, this has been an absolute disaster. How do we avoid it? And, right. and what do we do? Yes. Um, so I'm a celebrity, for example. They didn't, we didn't have the vaccination uh, back in November last year anyway, but they dealt with it quite well in that they got all of the celebrities to isolate before going in. And then once they're in the castle, not the jungle this year, they are kind of isolated anyway. So it worked. But yeah. we will see the same sort of situation, I'm sure, with Dancing on Ice, which is an ITV uh, next year. Right. And I mean, I don't think anybody's going to back to Australia anytime soon. So I guess uh, no. a celebs going to be in that <laughs> castle for a while. Sadly not. But the ratings were actually up last year. Right. Because it was quite fun watching them suffer in a cold castle in Wales, rather than <laughs> living it up in Australia last year. So yeah, yeah it's good. Absolutely right, Hannah. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, Hannah Hope, their assistant showbiz editor at the Sun on Sunday. I mean, this is the problem that we're going to get uh, with people being, as Tonya Buxton was saying, riddled with fear. You know, people who are frightened of going out, people who only want to mix with other people who have been vaccinated, people who don't want to see people who are not vaccinated. The case here uh, in the BBC Strictly show uh, is that three of the dancers are not vaccinated. Now, and under normal circumstances, that would be fine. If you're vaccinated, why are you worried about somebody who's not vaccinated? That's what Tony was saying, and she's absolutely right. But if you're in a work situation, are you being told that you have to have a vaccination? I know that uh, certainly there are some organizations around the world and certainly some in america uh, who are insisting on people being vaccinated before they come to work i'm not even sure that that's a legal thing that you can require from people 